Welcome back to the Where You're Planted podcast. I am so excited for today's guest. Um, I typically like to focus more on topics, but some of my favorite episodes have been when we don't talk about a topic as much, but we hear about someone's journey. And our guest today was referred to me by um, someone that I love, Rebecca Martin. She is such an advocate and just friend of this podcast. I love her so much. Um, she is always helping me find um, good people to reach out to who she thinks stories will be really important and impactful. And so she told me about this person and gave me a little context on his journey. Um, and then after doing some research myself, I was also really excited to talk to him. I think that um, some of the things that he's experienced in his life will be super important for um, us to discuss on this podcast. Um, but like I said, I'm more so just excited to hear about his journey. Um, I think hearing people's story is just such a, an impactful thing. So without further ado, I would love to introduce Jalen Seawright to the podcast. Hello, everybody. Hi, thank you for being on. Oh, no, thanks for having me. I'm I'm really honored. Rebecca is a super special person. She's the best. <laughs> yeah. She's such an encourager and just like pours into the people that she loves and really just wants to like push the people who are doing things for the kingdom. She just pushes them and wants them to succeed. It's just she's such a good friend. She is the for best. Sure. Um, and she's from Michigan where you're located. You're in Detroit, right? Yep, I'm just a little north of Detroit, probably about 25, 30 minutes uh, north of Detroit in a suburb town called Troy. Okay. Yeah, Detroit native all, all day. Yes. I rep Detroit real tough. <laughs> Detroit people love Detroit. I've learned that. I have a lot of friends from Michigan. Um, Rebecca, I actually met through a lot of that group that I've, I know from there. And even when they leave and they want to talk bad about Detroit, they won't let anyone else talk bad about Michigan. <laughs> <laughs> exactly exactly it's like a sibling. only we can talk bad about exactly <laughs> exactly um and aside from being a michigan native um you have a lot of other titles um your instagram bio says you're a husband father musician and justice justice advocate so let's talk first about the most important ones the husband and the father so tell me about your family oh so my wife and i uh we met uh, when we were 14 and, and we claim to have started dating right then and there, but uh, <laughs> our parents won't let us claim that because uh, they had to take us to our dates. So <laughs> until we started being able to take ourselves to our dates is when they deem us to have started dating. Uh, but we just grew up, uh, we didn't go to the same high school, but um, our churches that we grew up in were connected to each other. My father uh, is an accomplished musician, and he was training me in music. And I would follow him as he went to work with choirs. And uh, he would go to work with choirs, and he went to Flint, uh, Flint, Michigan, this one particular weekend. And I was there accompanying him on the organ. And there was this really cute girl there named <laughs> Kiana. And she spotted me first and sent her cousin to tell me that she had a crush on me. Sounds like and 14 ever years since old. Then, <laughs> right, exactly. <laughs> the story just was written. We got we've been married. Uh, it'll be eight years this August. Um, and we've got three beautiful girls. I'm a girl dad all day. Love it. Uh, Carrington, Cadence and Kylan. And uh, we're just we're just living life, taking it one step at a time. Yeah. I mean, that's a I, I hate the the term you got your hands full. I guess that's something that sounds better. It's like you have your heart full. 
There's a lot going on in uh, your household. My dad also has three daughters, so I don't oh. know your perspective, but I know their perspective. <laughs> <laughs> it, it's good. It's good. It, it takes a lot of patience. There, yeah, there's a lot of and lot on a lot of time. On the topic of your daughter of your daughters, you are also an author, right? Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, that's one of the things that I don't claim to be amazing at, but. <laughs> Uh, I wrote a children's book um, actually last year, last February for Black History Month, centered around some of my daughter's experiences that uh, they had as my wife and I were teaching them all about black women who've like paved the way for them to be able to grow and be whatever they want to be when they grow up. So uh, I wrote that book just kind of hopefully to inspire other young black girls. Yeah. And part of that was I saw on your social media that they were dressing up like prominent black women from history. What was that all about? So as everybody knows, we were locked down in 2020. And like yeah. I said before, I grew up in a really small black church. And growing up in that black church, it's like when February came around, like we kind of just like got rid of everything else and we just focused on African-American history. And I wanted my girls to be able to experience that as they grew up as well. And my wife and I wanted to be intentional about teaching them about their history as black women. Uh, but we couldn't go to the church because everything was shut down. So we went on Amazon and other little thrift sites and things like that to piece together outfits um, for the girls uh, so that we could teach them about who these women were um, and then also so they could have fun while doing it as well. And as things started to open up a bit, um, we also took them to certain museums and things like that dressed as the figure that we were going to learn about. Oh, that's I mean, it was so a lot cool. of fun. It just kind of turned into a whole thing. Yeah. 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 I saw like it went viral a couple of times. Like it's yeah. that's so cool. Who were some of the people that they dressed up as? Yeah, so some of their favorites was uh, Rosa Parks, who was uh, super pivotal in the Montgomery bus boycott as she refused to give up her seat uh, on the city bus. Also, Amanda Gorman was one that they oh, really I, loved. They dressed up in the I saw little that. yellow coats. And that was so and, cool because that's someone that they can now follow. And it's not exactly. just this like figure that they'll hear about. This is like modern day, not that much older than them, someone that they can continue to look up to. Exactly. So they they loved it. They loved dressing up um, and learning about these women. And, and it kind of sticks like once they have something to like an activity or the, even dressing as them as they see some of the wigs or the coats even around the house. Now they remember and they're able to recite uh, things about that figure. And, That's so and name cool. Facts about them. Things. It's awesome. I love that. So um Speaking of, you know, the church that you grew up in, can you tell me what kind of church you grew up in? And then if you attend a church right now, what kind of church that you um, attend now as an adult? Yeah, so I grew up in like, if you just watch any movie that has a small black church, that was my church. Like it was <laughs> as traditional, traditionally black as, as it gets. I mean, I sung in the kids choir. And then when I got older, I sung in the adults choir. I played the organ, played the piano. My dad played. It wasn't a very big place. The preaching was super fiery and, and 
energetic and and you know we had all kind of stuff going on it was church was a good time it was also always like three or four hours long which when i started getting into the more suburban churches i was like man y'all have three services in the time that we had like a half a service but uh <laughs> three services well, and we get context. coffee in between and mingle like we there, oh it's one hour out. There's like I think at the back of our church I'm looking because the the studio owner has attends my church. There's like a clock in the back that the pastor yep. watches and they know they have to be done at. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm telling you, one of one of my mentors uh, when I told him because I ended up working for a, a suburban church, a, a mega church, and one of my mentors says, "You all have service in an hour." I said, "Yeah," and he said, "Are you sure the gospel's being preached?" I was, <laughs> I lost it. I was like. Uh, it can get done that. in an hour. Yeah. So it, for I me, it was that. heaven. Right. And so are you attending a church right now? And if so, what is that church like? Right now I am. I, I attend uh, another small black church right, uh, right now. Um, I kind of came back into uh, the black community uh, this uh, within the past year, actually, just uh, as a faith community. I wanted my girls to also um, be able to grow up in a church with more young girls that look like them. Mm -hmm. um, and so it's called Life Church Southfield, and I'm the worship pastor there. And uh, we just have a good time. Uh, our services aren't as long as the services that I grew up in. I think certain pastors are starting to catch on to that, that maybe we can do it in a shorter amount of time. But uh, yeah. <laughs> it's it's a great time. We, we have a good time there. Well, and our generation, um, even though, you know, you grew up in it, we also, I think, are getting shorter attention spans because we're on 100%. TikTok and everything all day and everything's one minute long. And you can get a sermon in a minute on TikTok. <laughs> so That's the truth. <laughs> you got to keep it. You got to keep it short. So let's talk about the in-between. So you yeah. grew up in that church and now you said you're back to a smaller black church because you want your girls to grow up in that. What led you to go back to that? You said because of your girls, but was there anything else that made you feel like you needed to go back to that environment? Oh yeah. I mean, there's a, a whole journey. <laughs> I know that's a that really long, a loaded question. There's a lot <laughs> in there, but what are some of the, uh, cliff, you know, like the bullet points of, of some of the things that you've experienced over the last couple of years? Yeah. So I started working for a really big, we're actually where I met, uh, Rebecca, at, but I, I work for a really big mega church, um, out here in the Detroit area. And I started doing that, I think it was 2016 or 2017, um, and it was kind of like lights, camera, action kind of stuff. And um, during my time there, uh, church became different. It really became my job. Okay. And uh, it was way less about my family. And as our family was growing at that time, our oldest daughter was born in 2017. Um, like we lost all like centrality around our family and attending church together and things like that. So it was my job. And so we had a lot of fun. Now, me and my team had a ton of fun. We uh, stepped into some really diverse music and we created amazing moments on stage. And then I slowly started preaching as well while I was there. And uh, when things kind of went crazy in 2020, um, just especially with a lot of racial tension and all the political tension that was happening, mm -hmm. um, I really stepped into a role of um, really navigating some of these conversations with uh, a few of the lead pastors. 
And the toll that that took on me, I wouldn't realize um, exactly how hard that was on me until probably two years, two years later. I was probably a year after I left staff at that church. And I was going around and doing all different kinds of things. But uh, God kind of just has a way of, of slowing you down. I was extremely unhealthy. Um, my family was, was not in a healthy place. My marriage was not in a healthy place. Um, I had made some decisions that weren't the wisest decisions. And, um, I was really just kind of chasing after a peace and also chasing after like a state of approval. I realized that everywhere I went, I would have people that didn't like what I had to say. And mm -hmm. therefore I interpreted that as complete disapproval of who I was. My identity was completely shattered. And uh, it took me getting to just the lowest point I've ever been in uh, to realize that something had to be different. And the Lord kind of forced that. And um, I'm grateful now, but going through the fire is never fun while no. you're in it. Nope. But uh, <laughs> led me right into where I am now. So that's kind of the, the, the highlights of it. Yeah. So what are some positives that you take from that period of your life working for the mega church and the bigger church? Like, what are some things that you've taken that still like serve you in this season, um, being back at a smaller church that feels more familiar to you? Yeah. One thing is, is like, there's a lot of tools and a lot of resources that, uh, a lot of mega churches have that smaller churches, especially in more urban areas, don't have access to. And so I, I learned a lot. I learned a whole lot. I learned uh, a lot from leaders just about how to lead. Um, I was able to polish my public speaking uh, and the ability to craft messages and things like that. Um, I wouldn't have learned that in the way that I learned it um, had it not been for the mega church. Uh, also, I, um, you know, I really was able to see a vision of what it looks like when people come together, even in the midst of strife and and uh, disagreement and, and all kinds of tension. There's something beautiful that happens when urban and suburban are able to lock hands in a way. Uh, I feel like the kingdom is accomplished differently. I would not have seen that had I not stepped in the suburban megachurch context. Um, and then lastly, I would just say I, I was able to meet so many amazing and beautiful people through that context. Uh, people that would become lifelong friends, supporters, mentors. Um, I'm just I, I will never, uh, ever, you know, be upset or or resentful for the experience that I had within the megachurch circles. Yeah. So that's the positives, which I'm very glad you have so many um, from yeah. that experience. And there is, you know, stigmas about megachurches in general, whether from like any point of view, um, just, you know, the way that they're run and the showiness of them and just like, because it really is, you know, I say this about my church because it's a pretty big church. Like I give my, the worship and production team so much credit because it really is a production every Sunday. Like mm -hmm. I go every week and I'm like, man, they like literally have to produce basically an hour plus long show every week. And, you know, every week the lights are different and the background's different and they have some sort of video or animation that they play. And so I do have a lot of respect for all the work that goes into it. Like you said, just like the coming together to have that many people, like all hands on deck to accomplish one goal to, you know, get service to go off without a hitch. So I have a lot of respect for it, but I also recognize the flaws um, and the things that can be harmful in th those settings. So 
Um, you said there were conversations or, or things that you were saying or or um, like you conversations you were trying to have where you didn't felt like who you were was being approved of. So what were some of those harder moments and topics that you just felt like there was so much you know, resistance that maybe God was asking you to move on or move to a different season or you just didn't feel like it was right for you? Yeah. So, um, <laughs> you know, I mean, that's, that's really hard to articulate. And I would say this because there's so much beauty in it. Like, especially thinking now that I'm, I'm post, yeah. you know, out of it. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but I would say that one of the, one of the biggest flaws that I see in the mega church, um, and this is no, uh, you know, hit or, or negatively speaking about any mega church leaders is that the ability to care for your staff is is extremely difficult. Um, you're running a machine and, and this machine has to be ready to go every single weekend. And most of the time you have huge services that are also happening in the middle of the week. And so when it comes to art staff and production staff and the people that you see on stage, even teaching pastors, um, the ability to disciple them, to be if their leaders, to be able to disciple them and walk with them is extreme. It's compromised. That's yeah. the that's the best way I can put it. So you have a lot of people that are great at executing, but like they're dying, like they're dying for someone to see them. They're yeah. dying for someone to know them. They're struggling in their lives. They're struggling in their personal lives. They've, they're struggling with addiction issues. They're struggling in their marriages and no one will ever know because the product is pristine. Yeah. And so for me, how that happened uh, and how I experienced that was was honestly everything was great until 2020. And I'm not saying just because I was shut down in my house, of right. course, that had a lot to do with it. But all of a sudden being in a church setting where the church was over 90 percent Caucasian and then the tensions had to do with black and white relationships and and everyone's kind of looking at me as a pastor to be able to step in and speak to that, but also not offend them. Mm -hmm. And then you also have the black community is like, well, you're not talking strong enough and uh. saying the things that we want you to say. And you just feel like you're, you're you're never enough when you're so I was so used to like performing great and, and, and having great performance reviews and everybody's going crazy about the musical producing to all of a sudden, like not being enough for anyone. And that, sucks like that's the best way to put it yeah that's really tough and I can't obviously relate to that but I think of when in my job I it's the same thing we tell um like our clients like I work for what we call mid-sized agency and so we never want to get too big that we can't service our clients in the way that we want to like as far as attention you know time spent with them and one of the reasons is because we never want them to lose their humanity to us, you know, and mm -hmm. just become like another number and just, it's just business, right? It's just a transaction. And that's kind of right. what I started thinking of when you were saying that it's like, if I lose the ability and I have too many clients or too many people that work beneath me in, in your situation, like you're talking about the leadership where I don't have time to notice if something's wrong, then I might need to rework the way that this is structured because that's like the whole point of any job career anything is to do human life together and it, mm -hmm. when we can't notice that then yeah we're too we're too focused on I think the wrong things and I'm thinking back now too to um the time period you're talking about and like I said I go to a bigger church predominantly white and I remember thinking like 
there were certain times where it was like, if my church doesn't say something, I'm going to be very uncomfortable with continuing to go to this church. And that's me, just someone who's trying to be an ally. And I can't imagine like someone who's actually living that experience and you're sitting there like, and then you're the person that they're looking to because you are like who I'm, I'm expecting to say something, you know, you are that person in that church. And I, yeah. I spoke to so many friends during that time. And I think initially everyone's like, oh, you know, check in on your black friends and, um, ask them questions. And then my friends, you know, are my friends that were those people that are being asked those questions. They're like, no, <laughs> like go do the, the education on your own, like do the research on your, you know, like, there's so many tools out there. Like, I don't want to be your spokesperson. So I feel like I saw that tension happening just in real life. And then within the church, it's such a struggle because you like, you don't want to offend anybody. I personally think people need to be offended though, because you have to like shake it up. Um, so if you could not go back, but if you could, I guess, prepare a church like that, that is predominantly white, but has, uh, you know, a black attendance, or, you know, maybe it's, it's another group of people that, that maybe will be going through something. What would be how would you do it better? Or what would you, from your experience of what you learned and everything, like what do you either wish would have happened or you would do better in the future or ask churches to do better in the future when stuff like this happens? Yeah. You know, my response to that might sound a bit cynical, um, but I think <laughs> it's, it's truthful is, is uh, when you realize how the mega church is designed and how it's built and then how a lot of churches who are aspiring to become mega churches have already built the infrastructure to, for themselves to be able to achieve that. You realize that like at the bottom line, right, it takes capital, it takes money. Mm. And, um, that becomes it, it so quickly. You see it become, especially when things get tight, like in 2020, when people are, you know, trying to figure out where the money is going to come and they have to do layoffs and things like that. You realize what becomes God. And in a lot Oof. of these mega churches, God is not the one seated on the throne. And this is this is just because I think hard things have to be said. No, and I appreciate sometimes it. rebuke is necessary. God's not on the throne, but tithers are big givers are. And, and you can say whatever you need to say, as long as it doesn't upset Mr. And Mrs. So-and-so who gives X amount yeah. of dollars a month. Yep. And um, it's the same in like corporations with shareholders and things like that. 100%. You got to keep them happy, but it compromises your ability to really share and preach the gospel. So my answer to your question would be that there has to become a different type of foundation before they're actually able to live out the gospel in the way. So if I was to design something, right, it would be completely countercultural. Um, it would be a church that looks small, like a church that's in your living room kind of thing. Yeah. Um, something that that people are committed to the holistic gospel and resources are used to serve their communities uh, and also used to give people the ability within their community to also go out and love and serve their communities. Yeah. Um, that's how I would do it. No, that's actually a really good answer. And I like very much appreciate the blunt honesty with that because I think I, I, I didn't even consider that, but you're right. It's like, it's not like, what do we do to like make it better in this situation it's like we need to almost like like burn it all down <laughs> and like start from the bottom and and build with these things in mind 
rather than just waiting for things to happen and then addressing them when they happen. But it's kind of like America, right? Like you can't, when something is built a certain way, it's always going to be that way unless you change the systems. Exactly. That are behind it. And that's where people start getting upset because you start to mess with and poke at the things that alter their reality. When you, the things that they are so uh, holding so tightly onto. And they think that, you know, when I say things like that, people think like, oh, you're trying to say, you know, we need to get rid of America and defund this and do us. That's, that's, it's actually way more. If you, if you're a follower of Jesus, you realize that this is way more spiritual than it is tangible and physical. It has to do with our heart posture and who's on the throne. And so when we are pastors and we're living our lives and running our ministries in a way where we believe things are scarce because that's the way our economy works, right? then we aren't living into the full gospel. Because my thing is, is I believe in a Jesus that as long as I'm chasing after what he's called me to chase after, he's going to give me everything I need and the ministry that I'm leading, everything I need to accomplish it. But I think a lot of people get too scared to live into that because it just might mean that there is some physical or tangible loss. Like you may not be able to have the 4,000 seater uh, building, you know? Yeah when you're living that way. But that, like you said, it goes back to heart posture and like just staying connected with God, because that's, if you don't get that, then maybe that's not what God needed you to build. And I think just like so many things that we talk about, like social media, and now we have social media pastors and, and not all of them wanted to be that they just, you know, they became that. And, um, they deal with a lot of unfair stuff too. Cause you know, I've talked about before, like they'll wear a shirt that's like designer and then they get all this crap because people are like, why are you wearing a designer shirt? You're a pastor. And <laughs> some of them didn't ask to become famous. You know, it's just their church right. took off or whatever. But I think a lot of people, it's like, it's not just the church too. It's like so many people start doing something because they want the end result of being, you know, viral and, and getting all these followers and being famous or whatever that thing is, but that's not what God called them to do. So it, it's, it's, it's always gonna, you know, fall apart eventually because the foundation that it was built on is man-made, not God-made. Yeah. Come on. That's it. Um, I want to talk about something a little bit more lighthearted now. Um, (laughs) And I'm sure we will touch on some of this more heavy stuff um, throughout it. But you were leading worship at the mega church, right? Yeah. And yeah. and are you still leading worship now? Yep, I'm still leading worship and awesome. writing and all kinds of stuff. Yeah. Like so you said your dad was training you to be a musician. That's how you met your wife and everything. So what has your journey like been in that capacity um, throughout all the churches you've been at? But I have so much admiration for um, my worship leaders. I'm lucky to be friends with a lot of them. And I, I pray for them often because it's, Mm. it's so, um, I just look at even, you know, the ones at my church, not even talking about, you know, the ones that go on tours and stuff, you know, Mav City and Elevation, all these people, but even just the ones who, my friends who I know have to go on church, you know, on stage three times on a Sunday and pour themselves out for us so that we can pour ourselves out. Like, so I, I just pray for them a lot because I don't always go to church in a good mood. And so I can't imagine they always do. And then not to be in the mood, you know, to do what they need to do. So what has your experience been like in that capacity? You know, I, I grew up, uh, like I said, in singing in the church choir. Um, and I watched my dad have a ton of pressure on him just as the minister of music. That's what it was called in the context I grew up in. 
Um, he was the minister of music responsible for teaching the choir and choosing the songs and things like that. Now we were a really small context, you know, but it was still a lot of pressure on him because uh, honestly, gospel music is just more complex. Um, and so because I learned that complexity and uh, I grew as a musician that ended up having chops and abilities that a lot of more contemporary Christian music doesn't require, it made contemporary Christian music extremely easy for me. Oh, I like that um, perspective. That's interesting. Yeah, so I, I, I kind of stepped into it and just was like, oh, this is boring in a way. And then I was like, how can we have some fun with this? Um, at the same time, going and stepping into the megachurch context, like you said, you've got to do it three or four times a weekend. And, and like, you've got to sing those notes and be big three or and, four times a Yeah, weekend. like make it exciting for a crowd of so many people. Like it's a concert. <laughs> Exactly. And the Holy Spirit has to come the same way he came in the 10 o'clock service as he came in the 830 <laughs> yeah. service, you know. So there's a lot of I'll be honest with you. Sometimes there's a lot of times where it's like, wait, am, am I a fraud? Like, am I really being moved by this song? Ooh, or yeah, did I that's... just manipulate it, you know, just to because it worked really well in the 830 service oh, and yeah. they really liked it. So let me do it the same way. So for me, I was constantly in this dance with myself of like, yeah. how authentic am I? Like, Am I just entertaining folks or, or am I really having moments at the beat that's of Jesus? Such a, yeah, that's so good. Like, why? who am I really? Am I actually excited or am I, doing, am I performing? It, and I don't think it's necessarily bad to be performing because that's, you know, like you said, it was a job. And so it's exactly. hard because I don't think that's not authentic necessarily, but I also understand the struggle of like, I'm singing these words that are supposed to mean something. So I don't want it to be you know, fake. That's, that's tough. Yeah. I've never even thought about that. Yeah. It's, it's, it's a tough, it's a tough dance on stage. It, it is. And, um, you know, so when I watched that pressure on my dad, I'd said, I didn't want to be a pastor. I didn't want to work in a church. So I went to school and then, you know, ended up working for a college and just hated life at that point. <laughs> Cause I knew that I was supposed to be doing something in music. Then I tried to get into jazz and did some R&B stuff as well, but the Lord just kept tugging me back into the church. And what um, um, instruments and, do you play? Um, honestly, my main instrument is keys. I play piano. Love it. Um, I'm competent on a guitar, and I'm competent on a drum set even at times. Nice. Uh, but keys is what I'm what I what I play most of the time. I actually um, played piano for ten years. Oh, I nice. was also first chair clarinet in my elementary and junior high choir or uh bands and I was really good and but I got to high school and thought it wasn't cool but my mom <laughs> made me play in the church band um until like I didn't want to anymore until I was like old enough where she's like eh, it's fine you don't have to anymore but <laughs> I look back and I I it's I'm kind of sad that I stopped because now that I'm in such a more mature place with God and the church and everything it really is a cool experience to be able to use your gifts and, and you know, do it for God. Um, I was also in choir, but I cannot sing. So I don't know why my parents did that to me. Like I, in fact, I don't know if I've told this story on the podcast, but we had a Christmas play every Christmas, you know, at the church. Yeah. For some reason, I got a solo. I don't know how. I think there just wasn't enough people. And my older sister can sing. So I think they thought maybe I, I don't know. My older sister's the singer. I had a solo. The one and only solo I ever got, I went back to my seat and the seat, I, I fell off the stage. 
like I sat in the chair and fell off the stage. And so there was no, <laughs> there was no hope of me being a performer after that. We had the video somewhere and I still wish I did because that would go viral on, on TikTok. <laughs> it was so funny. Um, but that was my career doing what uh, you do now. But I actually didn't really listen to worship music um, up until like ugh, probably four years ago, five, three mm. years ago. I honestly would get uncomfortable when it would come on. And that was my own just like, you know, like just disconnection from God. Yeah. Um, and it wasn't until I heard like a certain Hillsong song actually about four years ago. Um, I think it was whole heart when their yeah. like good grace album came out. Yeah. And it's funny cause I don't listen to a lot of Hillsong now, but for some reason that song stuck with me. And then, you know, I started listening to like one song after another. Um, I'm lucky now to even, I'm friends with, um, Chandler Moore from L or, uh, from Maverick city. And, I wanted to ask you about this, like listening to you talking about the difference between differences between, you know, what you did with the gospel music and then the contemporary Christian music. So there was this, and if you don't want to comment on it, you don't have to, but <laughs> there was this, uh, like thing going around on social media that, um, basically like there was like, because Chandler is like black and comes from a gospel background, right? And now him and Mav City do more, you know, I would say it's more Christian uh, contemporary, save for, you know, their last album with Kirk Franklin. Um, there was basically people saying like he's catering to the, and Mav City, but it was mostly aimed at Chandler that he's catering to the white audiences um, with the way that his music, and he responded basically and said like, if you really listen to our music, you'll know like this is... Um, you know, this is like, there, there is a lot of gospel like intertwined in it. And then said something about, you know, like the, the, in my opinion is this too, like if we're trying to reach as many people as possible, like we were talking about with the church stuff, like you kind of got to go where God leads you. So do you have an opinion on that? And did you see that when that was going around? Yeah, I, I did. I, I saw that when it was going around and um, it's funny because I remember, Chan you know, Chandler has been in the gospel circles for, a long time. Like his whole I mean, life, right? With, <laughs> with, yeah, he sang with Travis Green for yeah. years before Mav City and stuff like that. And Chandler's a gospel boy through and through. I mean, there's no doubt of, no doubt about that. Um, I actually have a lot of respect for um, the way that they uh, stepped into the world that they're in now. And um, I don't believe at all that they're catering to the more suburban audience or white audience or whatever else um they're doing a lot of gospel songs that i grew up singing matter of fact i've got more of my white friends coming to me saying hey have you heard this song it's such a great new song <laughs> you're like Mavic city yeah. and i'm like bro we were singing that when i was what's, like four what's, like, like an example <laughs> of one of the songs like uh um hallelujah salvation and glory revelations 19 one is what we called it yeah uh, growing up and uh I literally can can't remember not singing that song. And then when Maverick City did it for their Christmas recording yeah. down there with Tribal and everybody's coming up and then Kanye did it. And they're like, have you heard this song? Hallelujah, salvation. And I'm like, <laughs> um, I sung it since I was three. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I got a lot of respect for, for what they're doing. Um, and I think like you, like we said earlier, there's really no way like once you start doing well in music and you got some hits the record label is going to milk as much as they can from it 
Yeah. So a lot of those decisions aren't even the worship team's decisions. And that's <laughs> a friend of mine um, who's been on the podcast, Luke. Um, he is a contributor for Rapzilla. So he's very, and he's a, a singer himself. He's our worship leader at church. Um, so he's very like dialed into the Christian music world on all sides. I mean, if you want to talk Christian rap, like he's the guy, he knows everyone. He knows mm-hmm. everything about that world. <laughs> but he said the same thing. He was like, listen, like at the end of the day, like they're a music label and this is, it, it's, they're not a church. Like they're not. Yeah. So we have to remember that when they're making decisions, like it's not, it's not like they're at a church and they're deciding like to uh, like, you know, the people that they have in front of them, like they're a music label trying to get out. And I, for me, I'm like, man, like this is like, they're pushing, they're they're singing about God, you know, at the BET awards. Like I'm, I think that's yeah. amazing, but you know, I don't, I don't live the experience that you live or other people live. So I, I don't think I should have an opinion on it, but I personally with just like anything that is about pushing the gospel, I think is positive. Yeah. Yeah. 100%. And there's so many that, people that didn't listen to anything before Mav City. <laughs> that's that's what I'm saying is is like when I hear people complaining, um, and I mean there are lots of opinions that I have about record labels and all the stuff like that. But when I when I look at the impact that Maverick City has had, there's no denying that they are reaching people that other otherwise would not have been reached had God not used their ministry. And so when people complain, exactly I'm always that. like, Oh, okay. All right. Well, we'll show me how, who you show me who you're reaching. Yeah. <laughs> you know, cause you're saying to the same people coming to your church every weekend, they're reaching people like across the world who have never engaged with church. Yeah. And I, I, the episode before this is on um, finances. And by the time this comes out, that one will have come out too. And we talked about, the whole idea of like the poverty gospel and how people think that if you're serving the Lord, that it can't be, it can't lead to abundance that you have to give away everything and you can't be prosperous. And I think that's where people struggle too. They're like, well, if you're singing Christian music or gospel music, you're not allowed to become a celebrity and you're not allowed to, um, you know, be rich. And like I said, we're designer labels and stuff, but I look at it and I'm like, I think it's cool that someone like Chandler is, like the the one of the people that like your kids and my future kids can look up to as a celebrity um someone who does put god at the forefront of their career and has chosen a life to serve god um because honestly like chandler dante uh naomi all the brandon like all they're all talented enough to just go sing secular music if they wanted to of course and they could do that especially now that they have this platform so i just every time they release more music. I'm like, I just think this is so cool um, that they've chosen this. And like I said earlier, like I pray for them, you know, just like I pray for people like you who serve at church every Sunday, because I feel like that's heavy um, to, to, to walk in that calling. Yeah. The, the, the mantle of responsibility on their lives, especially as, as nationally known, globally known uh, worship leaders, um, the, the amount of pressure and, I know a few people in those circles and the amount of pressure on them um, is, is I, I wouldn't wish for it, you know, <laughs> yeah. I wouldn't wish for it, but I feel like the Lord gives them what they need, you know, to see, see the ministry through. Yeah, no, I agree with you. And we know just even as people that like were, proclaim 
our Christianity and just in public that the people around us are always judging us and expecting us to live a certain way and uphold certain values and whatnot. And that's a, you know, that's a weight we're all willing to carry, I think, but I just Mm -hmm. can't imagine it while everyone has the access to comment on your social media and, and tweet you and, and all the things that we all deal with, but on much, much smaller scales. Yeah. I mean, I was, I, I was at a mega church, but I was not, you know, doing what Maverick City's doing. And I remember one Sunday is like, I mean, I, I just, I like jewelry. I like designer things and things like that as well. And, uh, I remember I had, um, yeah, I had a, a chain, I had another chain on and stuff like that. And guy comes up to me after the service and says, what, what are you doing? Like you, you work here. Do you want people to think that you're, you're selling drugs? And oh I was like, gosh. what are you talking about? But they, they want you to, a lot of people expect you to look like a peasant and all kinds of stuff like that, just cause you're doing ministry. And so, um, I, I'm with you there. 100%. I think those, those are some, some that scarcity mentality, that poverty mentality that your, your pastor or your worship leader or the people who work at your church need to be begging, you know, in order to, to feed their families. I, I think it's unrealistic. You yeah. Know? Uh, I think it's unrealistic and unfair. Yeah. And it, it's funny because you say that guy came up to you, but if he wore those, like you wouldn't have said that to him. It would have been, no, okay, you know, it, like he, not at all. or if the person next to him had him on, he wouldn't have thought anything of it. And really we're all equals. It's just exactly. that you've chosen, you know, your ministry to be physically in the church, but we're all supposed mm-hmm. to be having ministries everywhere. So really, if that rule applies to you, it would have to apply to everybody. Yeah. You're preaching now. I'm with you all the way. <laughs> So what are um, some things that you are working on or looking forward to or just some things that about the church that make you happy right now? Yeah, uh, right now I'm just kind of like in a, in a beautiful space with my family. And um, I've had a lot of time with them this past season. And uh, it's, it's really awesome. I mean, I was chasing hard and I was really going, I kind of had left music a little bit and really started chasing a lot of the more justice spaces. Uh, that's where I was kind of getting most of my work the past year. But now being back where music's kind of at the forefront of it, I'm working with Common Hymnal right now. Um, I'm part of that crew. I write a ton of music with them um, and constantly going places with them, just having a good time writing about things that matter. Um, and, and for churches to sing is, is kind of my, kind of my heart. So I'm doing a lot of that. I'm doing some studio work and some producing and things like that. Um, I'll actually be out your way on Sunday, uh, oh. doing some, doing some producing and stuff like that in, um, where will I be in Newport? And mm, so one uh, of my favorite places yeah, on earth, are you going to a church there or a studio? What are you doing out there? I'm I'm working with a worship crew. Uh, it's kind of like we we haven't even publicly like been set, said this is what we're doing, but we're gearing up towards an album and and also just doing a ton of studio writing, but also covers of things. And so we're kind of like a a collective of of just friends that kind of get together and just worship together. And we pull some resources together to to go and do it and. It's it's a good time, so I'm excited for whatever that might hold in the future. I also have a crew here in Detroit called Village, and we're writing worship music as well, and we're doing stuff through Common Hymnal connected to Integrity Music out of Nashville, um, and we're writing and releasing music and things like that. So I'm in a in a big writing space right now. I so love I'm that. Writing a lot of music. How often do you write? 
I, I write about every day, mm. you know, honestly. And is it like scheduled um, or I always I, like songwriters blow my mind because I don't have that brain. Like I can play music. I cannot for the life of me write music, not nothing, not the actual music yeah. or the lyrics, nothing. But so is it like an organic thing or is it like you set aside time every day? Yeah. You know, for me right now, it's it's organic. I, I set aside time three times a week, though. But like I'm writing, writing every day, but intentionally three times a week. Um, I feel like it's kind of like the machine. Like once you get it going, it just kind of runs itself. So I constantly have melodies and things running. Are you like in head. your notes app all the time? Exactly. You should see my voice memos. I mean, oh, yeah. if anybody played though, I played those. I'd probably crawl under a rock. I mean, it's just me <laughs> screaming in the car or something like that. I mean, but they're all ideas. Yeah, I love that. I do the same thing, even just like things I want to just remember for myself. Like my notes, I, I was looking at it because I had actually made like questions in my notes um the first time we were supposed to record and I was looking for it and I was like my notes are a mess <laughs> they're all over the place <laughs> do um any of your daughters do they show any interest in music yet oh yeah um and just kind of like I was raised I was always around it and so I was singing real young and so my oldest uh she's good she's good and I'm not just saying that because because I'm a dad you know but um other people have confirmed it and she can she can also hold a little harmony already love and it so um I, i've been working with her you know since she was real young and she loves to sing my middle also loves to sing and uh she's got like the cutest little she's like tongue-tied a little bit Aww. so when she sings it's like the cutest thing ever and she she could sing too um so you, really, you're really gonna well. have a little a little worship band in a few years when they're all uh, hopefully <laughs> hopefully that's the that's the goal and then, then i can retire and let them go on the road <laughs> do you have when this airs it's going to be um black history month so do you have anything planned with them for this february i do so um you know, every everybody kind of asks each year, ever since 2020, what are you doing? What are you doing with the girls? Um, and uh, so this year, what we've been doing is there's a lot of uh, history, African-American history here in Michigan. And uh, we've been going around this month in January, driving to places where people don't know are actually filled and just so much black history has happened. So we've been taking them to destinations and I've been making videos and having them tell uh, the story on video and I edit it and put it all together. So we're going to be releasing that on social media and stuff like that. Also, we're pushing their, we're pushing the book um, as well. Um, I just had a, an interview about that um, earlier today about getting some publicity on that. And then actually they'll be going into um each elementary school classroom um, in the Detroit public schools. So we're excited about that. That's this so month. cool. Um, and then also just uh, we've been visiting and recording a lot of black owned restaurants in the area too. So we've been just doing all kinds of things. So we'll be releasing all that through uh, social media um, over, the, over the next month. That's so cool. And can you tell a little bit more about what the book is about? Yeah, so it's called Dreams Come True for Black Girls Too. And uh, it's just honestly a, an, an ode or a, a we're just repping and honoring the people that they dressed up as. Mm -hmm. And so the whole book just kind of covers me and my wife um, telling them that 
Carrie and Cadence, you can be anything that you want to be. And here's why, because there's been so many other black women who've come before you who have paved the way and fought and sat and ran um, so that you can have access to opportunity now uh, as you grow and get older. So that's the whole heart of, of the book is just to empower and build the confidence uh, in young black girls. I love it. And where can you buy it? Uh, it's on it's on Amazon. You can get it there. You can get it on Barnes and Noble has it on their website as well. Um, yep, you can. Uh, yeah, I think most people are getting it through through Amazon as well. Uh, but yeah, Amazon is I where like I kind of point everybody to. Everyone gets yeah. everything on Amazon. It rules exactly. the world. Yeah. Well, I appreciate you so much for telling some of your story, um, for all the things that you talked about for your time today. I'm super looking forward to seeing everything that you do from here on out, whether it's with your daughters or through your music. Um, I'm really happy that we got to connect and I just appreciate your honesty and your candidness and just everything that you shared today. Thank you so much for having me. I, I had a great time talking with you and and thanks so much. Uh, it, I'm really honored that you would uh, have me on here. Yeah. And we have Rebecca to thank. So thank you again, yes. Rebecca. Yeah. And Jalen, where can people find you on social media so they can see all the cool stuff you're going to post next month and buy your book? Yeah, basically on, on everything. It's just my last name, Seawright, uh, with two underscores. So S-E-A-W-R-I-G-H-T underscore underscore. You can find me on TikTok, Instagram, and Twitter uh, that way. And then Facebook's just my name, Jalen Seawright. Awesome. Well, thank you again. Yeah. I so appreciate it. Um, I loved this conversation. Like I said, I'm super looking forward to everything you do from here on out. Thanks for having me. And as always, I just ask everyone to rate, review, subscribe, like all the things that you can do. Um, send it to your friends. Uh, the more that you do that, the more people it can reach and the longer that I can do this. Um, you can find the podcast at Where You're Planted Podcast on Instagram. All the other links are in the bio there um, for all the platforms you can listen on and to contribute monetarily on Patreon. And I will see you guys next time. <laughs>